2021, it's difficult for the average person to imagine that someone born and raised in the United States does not know how to use technology or navigate public transportation or could be overcome with anxiety at the thought of crossing the street. Now imagine being in a position where it's frowned upon to ask for help in those situations or even ask questions because you're expected to just know. I was that person six years ago. For over a decade, I lived in what I call a time capsule. I was eventually released from one of New Jersey's state prisons, but to an area where I had never lived, at an age that people expected me to act in a manner that was foreign to me and without the support needed for my survival. I couldn't get a job because I never had a resume. I couldn't get an apartment because I had no rental, employment, or credit history. I couldn't do the many things that would prevent me from going back to the system designed for me to fail. Unfortunately, I'm not the only neighbor you pass that has a similar reentry experience. So welcome to Hiding in Plain Sight, the neighbors you never hear from. This series will take you on a journey of reentry through the firsthand experiences of six people and where they are today. During this very transparent conversation, we hear about the journey of what is described as becoming a man. From childhood sexual abuse, gang involvement, and his love for God, we weave through the life of an impressionable young man. My name is Nelson Gonzalez, 35 years old. Um, at this point, I'm just getting out of a 17-year sentence. I've um, been locked up since I was 17. I got out in November. This is January. Um, I'm just getting my feet on the ground. Hitting the ground running, though. And... You know, I understand, you know, while I was in prison, I got to know myself as a man standing alone. But then to come into this world and then go into a city that I don't know without family, without money, um, with, with nothing, basically, um, it was very scary. So it was a tough situation where I really had to just rely on my faith. Our conversation also left the question, how does someone that is expected to be an adult but was confined as a child navigate prison okay so in prison um i was i went into prison obviously very young immature and with a huge chip on my shoulder you know um my concept was i had a lot of time to do and i was not going to let anybody you know make me a victim and i actually ended up becoming a victim of my own ignorance where i got involved in gangs and i I got into a gang and that actually led me into six years ad seg, which is uh, confinement within the prison. So it's a prison within the prison. And when I got sentenced, it felt like a part of a process and it didn't hit me. Um, It wasn't until I started going, I actually got into prison and and an ad seg situation happened because I was still so young and immature that I didn't grasp the full gravity of my situation. Um, so, but bear in mind, there was a lot of fear going into the prison system because you hear stories, you know, and, and for someone who has never been in the prison system before that, I, I've never been locked up before that. I went through intense therapy, one-on-one counseling, group therapy, and that department, you know, and that, that program really helped me to understand what my du- deeply rooted issues were, helped me to understand who I am and, and who I don't want to be. Um, who I wanted to be wasn't clear yet, but who I didn't want to be was was absolutely clear. Um, so because I was in that program, I was able to maintain myself, you know, 
away from problems, you know, because I knew that I was working for something good and I wanted that more than anything. Nelson spoke significantly about his love and faith for God being the driving force for his change of self-defeating behaviors. But he also took us down the road of this series of events that led to those behaviors. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So um, as far back as I can remember, and, and I didn't realize it was abuse until I started going into those programs, the psychology program, and I, I got to know that that is actually abuse, which was, you know, growing up, my stepfather was very abusive. Um, I believe, you know, and I, and I say this confidently, I can count on one hand how many times he didn't hit me a year. And at the time, it didn't feel like abuse. It felt like this was the way things were. You know, um, if I did anything to piss him off, I would get smacked. Um, he would hit me and, and when, when I would cry or, you know, if anything would happen where I would complain to him, he would call me a faggot, you know, or, in, you know, it was either say that or in Spanish is a maricon, a homosexual. And I didn't know what that meant at the time. Um, so it, it had no significance other than I don't want to be what he's calling me because whatever it is, he's disgusted with it because that's what I am. And whatever I am that he's saying that I am, it's disgusting. So I shouldn't be this. Um, and it wasn't until I was abused sexually by a family member that I understood what that was. And that made it all the worse for me because while this was happening, I was basically, in my mind, I was solidifying his claim on me. Like, yeah, this is really who you are, a disgusting whatever he's calling me. Um, and so that actually created two things inside of me. It created uh, a, an anger, a deep anger um, and violence because I felt as though, and, and I, I got to understand this later. I didn't, I didn't know this concept at the time was the only way that I can measure up to being more than what he called me was to be as violent as he is because he was the measure of a man for me. You know, if, if, if I'm this and you're better than me, then I have to be what you are. So that's where violence came into play. But another thing that was developed was a, a homophobia, you know? Um, and it wasn't that I had anything against homosexuals. It was just that I was called this and this is what you defined it as, you know, and it was disgusting to you. So... And, and you thought I was disgusting, so I I can't be a part of that. I, I want nothing to do with that. Um, so that's there wasn't. I never outright attacked a homosexual. I had a, a, a hatred toward them. It was just I wanted to never be a part of it. Nelson has only been released since November 2020, and takes great pride, which he should, at his recent accomplishment of becoming one of the site supervisors at a vaccination site where he works. But does society see him the way that he presents himself? One thing that in, in the 17 years I've been locked up, I realized one thing, and any prisoner recognizes this, knows this all too well, paperwork is a giant compared to you. Um, standing next to what's on paper about you, you feel insignificant. Um, because that's all that measure that that that's what you have to measure up against is paperwork, whether it's one sheet or a thousand. They're oh that is always going to outweigh who you really are and what you've experienced and the explanation or, you know, the truth about you know what your life is and who you, you know, who you as, uh, aspire to become. You know, 
At the end of our extensive conversation, I was privileged to hear in both English and Spanish words Nelson would tell his younger self after looking back at the collection of his experiences. Yo te escucho. Mm -hmm. Y te amo. I love you. Honestly, um, I think that's what I would tell myself. Because I didn't know how to love myself. I didn't know what that was. Um, and I would say, <laughs> because um, it was hard to to accept who I was with no idea who I was, you know, confused about, you know, what I was defined as growing up. Um, I think that uh, just to hold myself and say, like, yo, you know, I love you. I mean, it's not to say that I didn't feel love when I was young. My mother loved me, but it was me that didn't love me. You know, I saw everything wrong with myself, you know, um, and I think I try to hide that with with violence, with uh, with being funny, you know, around my family, or you know. And I'm a the biggest thing that I would tell myself, honestly, you know, even before I love you is, I hear you. Um, I remember having dreams of speaking to my mother, my dad, or anybody in my family, and always yelling in my dreams. Um, and once I did the therapy, I understood that to be that I didn't feel like I was heard. I didn't feel like like I had a voice, you know. So I, if there was anything I would say, is just you know I can hear you. I'm, I'm listening, you know, and, and I love you. So, yo te escucho, y te amo. What would happen if we paid attention in a measurable way? not only to the impact that formerly incarcerated individuals have on communities, but to how they can enhance it. With the world's highest incarceration rate, it is naive of us as a country to not address the unhinged and unchecked harm caused by the carceral system and advance the natural and civil rights of those currently and formerly incarcerated. This is Tia in Nork, and thanks for listening to another episode of Hiding in Plain Sight, the neighbors you never hear from. And if you're interested in ways to get involved with helping our neighbors locally, I encourage you to visit njforthouse.org. That's njforthouse.org. Or allofusarenone-northernnj.com. That's allofusarenone-northernnj.com. This series is part of the Nork News and Story Collaborative, made possible with the funding support of the Geraldine R. Dodge Foundation, and the Victoria Foundation. The Nork News and Story Collaborative is committed to elevating community-driven storytelling to fill information gaps in local and national media. The Collaborative trains community members in storytelling, media making, and other creative art forms to share and amplify their experiences. It's laying the groundwork for a collaborative network that will address longstanding information inequities in Newark, New Jersey. For more information and to hear local stories, visit www.newarkstories.com.